0: Well, as he said, I am Wes Roberts, and I have been doing this thing called mentoring most of my life. Um, I was raised in Oregon on a cattle ranch. I was up there uh, as a snarly kid. We had some trauma in our family, therefore the snarly kid became a pretty angry teenager. And yet it was young life that stepped, that God put in front of me uh, to bring me into the kingdom. And so it was was not a good upbringing, and it's been an incredible up-and-down life ever since. And the up has been up, and some of the downs have been down. I'm just a normal human like the rest of you. But the whole process of mentoring, I want us to be thinking about, and I'm really serious, too, and you'll hear me repeat it, and if I don't, because I'm an old man, I can forget. So remind me at the end to have people fill out these cards. Because to try and do in three 50-minute periods to talk about mentoring that I normally do in a two-day workshop is going to be a real monumental task. My board of directors is all smirking and laughing as they're waking up around the world today to think, is Wes really going to do this? And I can, if I can have your name, and I'm not going to use it for any other thing without your permission at all, uh, than to give you supplementary information to what I'm sharing with you today. So it's going to be real important to have your name and your email. And a couple of times a week, I'll be sending you further information, especially some scriptures, because I am just so excited with what the the Lord continues to show me even out of his word with regard to this process of mentoring that I want to suggest to you. So one of the things that I'm going to help you understand that there are going to be three C's that I want every one of you to be understanding between this Sunday, the next Sunday, and the next. So 14, 21, 28. We're going to be having some really good time together. And let me give you my, I realize in the notes that I quickly put out, we just got home at the end of the week from... Two and a half weeks of vacation. So I'm just kind of, you know, getting back into life here, wishing we were still in Banff, Canada, but I'm glad I'm with you folks this morning. So, um, but I, my email address is wes at leadershipdesigngroup.com. So that's fairly straightforward. Leadership Design Group, all munched together, all three of those words. Leadership Design Group is the name of our ministry that we've had for 33 years now, working with men and women literally around the globe. Some of the men and women that I met her, they'll often ask me, where have you been today? Which is kind of a signal of who are you Skyping with in Germany or Malaysia or South Africa or other places that uh, I am mentoring people, emerging Christian leaders of all color, stripe, and hue. It's just been amazing. One young man, uh a seven kid. He's Chinese, Malay. He's a Lutheran pastor from Kuala Lumpur. And he's been getting his PhD in Christensen, Norway, Christian-Muslim relationships and is going to be going back and teaching in a major South Asia seminary and is being fought over by three Muslim presidents of universities for him to get to come and teach at their schools. That's just kind of a wild situation that I get to be involved in with people. Sivan and his wife Mei Chen have four beautiful kids and uh, whether it's international or right here at home or up in Parker where I live in the southeast corner of denver this is my life helping people wake up to god's design for their life and these three c's that i want every one of you to pay attention to we're going to unpack one c a sunday so don't miss out next week or the next week and if people are late or could not be here today or going to show up next week i hope some of you will be able to uh, take this and and be able to share it with them part of it is we're recording it as well so if you're hearing me on recording, please connect with me via my email address, wes.leadershipdesigngroup.com, and I'll be committed to helping you uh, catch up with what we're doing. But the three C's that I want us to be concerned about is core, creative, and courageous. You're going to understand what I mean by these as we go through. Today, we're simply going to be talking about Core. Now, it's really good that I didn't have the slides ready for the, um, to impress you off of my computer because the thing doesn't work. And uh, yesterday, when we were unpacking from the trip, I got out the flip chart and began to put it down because I didn't have time or the people that helped me with slides didn't have time to put this together. So by God's design, I'll blame it on the Trinity here, uh, we have something to see and not dependent upon this. But the core is a core commitment that I want to help you understand that is critical to our model of thinking of mentoring mentoring has many variations to it on this last trip that my wife and i took to canada to celebrate her 70th birthday um, i had a young man that was working the desk at the place that we were staying from england and i have no idea what i ask people sometimes but he saw me at another time in the nine days we were there And Ben said, you know, the question you asked me when you were signing in, I thought, what was it? I have no idea. That's when I can really claim to be 72 and let it just go by real quickly. But the fun part of it was, um, something I said to him on just signing in alerted something deep in him. And he's been in our country for two and a half years working in the hospitality industry. And he asked me, he said, what did you mean by, and so I had another time to work with him. That was minuscule. And what do you call it, mentoring? And it was very interesting when we were checking out this last week. He made the comment, he said, Thank you for the mentoring that you gave me. I had an accumulative total, if it was 17 minutes, that was too long to work with him. But if we have an idea about who we are and have an idea about who someone else is, if we think about ourselves and others in a correct, life-giving way, and you can see that I'm forming kind of a circle with my motions here, if we can think about mentoring as not just, here's Wes, and here's the mentoree, but if we can think about it as a circle of relationship, we are going to be able to mentor, to be involved, to eavesdrop on conversations. I love to eavesdrop, because I eavesdrop through the model of mentoring that I'm going to be sharing with you. And one of the things about the mentoring that we do through your leadership design group, it's not a system. It's not a formula. There's a lot of systems and a lot of formulas. Six ways to do this and 19 ways to accomplish that. And that's not what this is. But it is helping you understand a way of thinking first about yourself and then others. Because you are as human as anybody that you will mentor in the future or anybody that you have mentored if you've had the privilege of being a mentor in some form or fashion, more than 17 minutes to a hotel clerk. Um, But this process allows me to work with an extraordinary range of people. I was thinking when I was driving down a while ago from Denver, um, how a man that I'm mentoring who is an atheist, people say, what? You're mentoring an atheist with this model because you believe that God's at the core of this? Well, yeah, I believe that God's at the core of creation. He may claim to be an atheist, But I see him as one of God's creations because I see myself that way. And one time I stopped by his place of work and I was shocked because he introduced me to some new staff members of the business he owns as his spiritual director. Now that's really something for an atheist to call another guy their spiritual director. But over time, we are unpacking something that is very important. And I trust the Spirit of God alive because we are all... God's creation even the worst of us are still created in the image of God and if we can get that in mind and if we can get this whole circular thinking going and so that's why I have this here in a for a very important reason I want us to banish something and I'm going to sound like a full-blown heretic in just a minute so hang on you know if you leave you run out screaming unclean or whatever uh, you may do that But I want you with great sincerity to think about something. In our Christian world, in our evangelical Christian world, in our Western culture Christian world, we have had what I call a noble heresy introduced to our thinking about relationships, and especially about our relationship with God. And this is absolutely key to everything that I'm going to share, whether it's here with you in person whether it's what I send you in the week as you give me your name and your email address so we can add to today and get ready for next Sunday. And even beyond that, the noble heresy is this. Some of you are going to go, what? He really is a heretic. So I'm just setting myself up for, for you here. The heresy is this, and it's a noble heresy, that God should have first place in our life. That is noble. That is not a evil thought but if carried out too far it can be an evil thought because so often we say god is first and something else is second and something else fourth something else 17th etc and here's what begins to happen when we set things up there there can become and good christian psychologists like larry crab and others will tell you from an illustration that all of us have a waterline in our life this is the known you And this is the unknown you. This is the you that you show to the world when you wake up, or your spouse, or your friends, your roommates, whoever, at work, etc. And here's the stuff that you are dealing with with your life. And some of this stuff can be really crappy, even putting other words into that. This can be the things that we struggle with perpetually. This can be the things that have happened to us in our life that we're just not quite over that we've not really resolved. We've not given them to the Father to take care of the issues of our life that have taken place. And we, we hide these things down here underneath this waterline. And everybody has a waterline, as you'll see in another one of my illustrations in just a little bit. Now, James, who you heard last week, who I've had the privilege of being a principal mentor to him, not his only, but a principal mentor to him, over the last several years as he and Sarah have gotten married, as they've had their kids, as he's changed jobs, and all the things that are going on uh, in the Martins' life is important. But people say, where do you get the idea that God does not want to have first place in our life? Well, I'm going to go, and this is where I want to share some scriptures with you and the emails in the week as well. But I go to the fact that back to the Old Testament, one example is that when Moses was arrested by God, if you will, on a mountain. It says, I want you to help free my people. I want you to lead them out of the bondage and slavery that they have been placed in. And by the way, I am going to be with you. And I am going to be sometimes ahead of you in a pillar of fire or cloud. And sometimes I'm going to be behind you. But when you stop, when you camp, when you take time to readjust yourselves on this journey that you're on, I want to be at the core, at the center of who you are. So this is my modernistic look at the 12 tribes of Israel being around this box that was carrying the essence of God, the Ark of the Covenant as we know it from Old Testament teaching. Because God wanted to have his presence known to everybody in this entire circle as this tribe Began to wander, and of course, because even just the quick flick or lack of a quick flick or the extra quick flick of a wrist that knocks some water out of a rock caused them to take a longer walk than they had anticipated. And yet, as I look at the Old Testament story of God's people, the nation of Israel, He's always asking to be at the core, at the center, to be visible, to be known, and longing to make Himself known. And so I've, over the years of the mentoring that I've done, over the years, it's been this process of, if God is not to be first, I know that sounds heretical, doesn't it? You're smiling, so you are agreeing with me. Uh, it sounds heretical, but where does God want to be? And, and, and if, if, if this is a wrong illustration, what is a better one? If it's a wrong, not... As noble, nice idea. And some of you are biblical scholars enough that you're flying through Scripture where it says, you know, seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. That's not saying put God first. That's saying seek whatever you do first. Seek Him in who you are. Is what is happening in that Scripture. And then we go to Matthew 22. We come away from the Old Testament into the New Testament. And there's that wonderful statement in Matthew 22, and it's one of my favorite scriptures. Because there, the Pharisees and the Sadducees are trying to stop this dude named Jesus from having the influence. He's gathering crowds. Things are happening. People are being healed for crying out loud. There's even reports that somebody was dead, daughter was dead, and she's alive. How in the world is this happening? They're taking him away from the synagogue. We've got to stop him and I love the scripture because the Sadducees and the Pharisees kind of the religious Republicans and Democrats of the day were uh, trying to stop this guy and the Pharisees couldn't stop him so a Sadducee it says learned in the law these guys were kind of like the chiefs of the supreme court in a sense they were the mucky mucks who knew everything and I don't know if you're aware of it it startled me when I found this out there are over 640 laws in the Old Testament. My word. And I just thought there was 10 commandments and that was it. Well, we missed it by about 630 at that point. There's laws for how far you can step sideways and forwards and backwards and what you can eat and not eat on certain days and what women can and can't do and men can and can't do. And I mean, it's, it's amazing when you read through it all that was needed in this forming of the israel nation to get their attention to get them away from some things but then it went almost too far now isn't it wild by god's design i believe because here's jesus the son of god come and made flesh we celebrate that at christmas we're going to get to do it again in the Advent season in just a few weeks and in the processing of that here's what happens in the processing of this jesus himself says I have come that you might have life and that you might have it not just mediocrely or only if you're being good by keeping me and my father first but I want you to have life abundantly and abundantly is not reserved for just a part of our life it's, it's open and available for all of our life and here's how I'm going to know this and here's what happened one of those Sadducees who was an expert in the law knew that there was this little sliver of the whole 600 plus laws in the Old Testament. There was this little sliver of laws, partly in Deuteron- hanging out in Deuteronomy, partly hanging out in Exodus, that says, if you put one law above another, this is how technical it was getting, you are liable to stoning by the application of the synagogue fathers if they say you are Doing something really wrong. You can be stoned to death. And so this, this Sadducee took Jesus to task and says, Tell us, Rabbi, and I'm sure he had kind of a sarcastic snarl on his face in that. Tell us, Rabbi, what's the greatest commandment? Because what this man was asking of Jesus was to break this little sliver of law, to put one thing above another. And I'm sure they were looking for any technical maneuver to get rid of this guy we ultimately know they were that doing that because we celebrate Easter because of that and so in the processing of that Jesus whom he didn't know was the son of God of Yahweh Jesus just simply I love it in scripture in Matthew 22 it says Jesus replied he didn't run to the library and begin to develop a theological treatise he just says and Jesus replied and Jesus knew what was going on in this guy. Jesus knew that this man, this Supreme Court judge of the land was trying to trick him. And Jesus, I think, had a sense of humor at this point. Because Jesus said, well, you're to love the Lord your God with all your soul, mind, and strength. All of who you are, in other words. And, and at that point, I'm sure that arrogant sad, you see, thought, ah, oh, we got it. Because Jesus said, and the second is like it. But here's the key. The second is like it was not doing something in priority order. First, second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth. But that little word like was making the two into one. And we have other scriptures that inform us that Jesus came to make all things new, including you and me, and how we live out our life. And in the process of that, Jesus was saying, because he grabbed from one part of Deuteronomy and he grabbed from another part next that says, love the Lord your God with all your soul, mind, and strength. And the second is like it. You are to love your neighbor as you love yourself. All the law of the prophets hangs on these two thoughts, ideas. I mean, it was one of the absolute pivotal statements in Jesus' life, made at that moment for you and me right here today. And so at that point, it no longer became some hierarchical structure. There's all kinds of religious structures out there that try to help people be good and they do things. And, you know, churches have had all kinds of penance issues and, you know, you got to be good and straight and wonderful and everything and doing this and that. And then you're going to be okay. When, when our God says, I will take you as you are, I want to wrap my everlasting arms around you and help you to become the whole, complete person that you have been designed and created to be. And so in this mentoring model that I'm suggesting to you, and we'll continue to unpack over these next three weeks with you, and want dialogue with you about this, that's not an empty statement, because it's really hard sometimes for people to move in this position from God first to God at the of who I am God at the very center of who I am God taking the illustration that he wanted to be at the core of the nation of Israel and Jesus works that we are to allow this Father, Son, Spirit God to be an intimate part of all of who we are he is present no matter whether we're being the best we've ever been or the worst we've ever been God is still God. And he loves all of who we are. He may not be pleased with everything Wes does. But he does take all of who I am. And he wants to invade all of who I am and what I do with my life. So this Father, Son, Spirit, God, what we call the Trinity... Starting with Athanasius, about 400 years into Christendom, uh, made some real important statements about this this Father, Son, Spirit, God. You know, the Gospel of John is just so critical here. Because when Jesus is warning his disciples, he's not going to be around forever. They're kind of panicking. And he says, well, I'm not going to leave you alone. My Father and I are going to give you our Spirit. And that happened at what we call within the church calendar year, Pentecost when the Spirit was given. That Spirit that resides and, and, and longs to live out God's life through each one of us. And so in that, I want to recommend a book to you. You can only get it on Amazon. It's one of those print one-at-a-time books. So it's not going to be found in a bookstore um, unless the bookstore buys a bunch of copies. But it's called The Great Dance, The Christian Visit, Vision Revisited. It is probably the best writing I have ever read on this Father, Son, Spirit, God, the Trinity. It's by Baxter Kruger. You can look up it later if you want to come down and see it. Baxter Kruger um, is a theologian, uh, New Testament theologian, schooled in in Aberdeen, Scotland, and um, has become a friend. And I just picked up on this book the first time in December. I've read it three times. And I've had few books beyond the Word of God impact me like this one. To help me understand who does this god want to be at the core of my existence this father son spirit god so as we continue to move with this and we talk about the waterline factors putting this father son spirit god who says love god love neighbor love yourself too often in christendom we have been two-thirds christians A lot of Christian religious structures—they'll—they'll pay a lot of attention to the Father and the Son, but not the Spirit. Or they'll pay a lot of attention to the Spirit and the Son, but not the Father. And there's just a lot of two-thirds Christian, if you can't, will going around here. But to put God first, and then here's my life. Here's the things that I'm not afraid to tell you about. Here's the stuff that I, uh, you know, I'm a little uneasy. I may tell a few people about. And there's a couple of things down here I don't want anybody to know about. And that's how we often will live our life. Not free in the spirit. Not free to trust God to bring the healing and the wholeness that we need out of the various categories of our life. Some of you have had great upbringings. Be thankful. Some of us have not had great upbringings. And you know what? Even at 72, even though there was some rough stuff in my own growing up, I can be thankful for that. Because it's helped me to know and understand who God wants to be, not just what God wants to be in my life. And so I make the suggestion, and it's put out here in some of the materials that that you've got as well. I make the suggestion that God wants to be at the core, at the center of who we are. So that this Father, Son, Spirit God who says, love me, Love others, love yourself, and how does that all get working in motion? And this is part of what I mean when we're learning about being a mentor, or even learning about being mentored by an adequate mentor. Go with the person who's going to look at you as a whole person, not a project. Don't ever make anybody a project. Please don't do that. I've been made projects by people before because people were going to straighten me out. That's not right i don't like to be straightened out i like to be engaged i like to be interacted with just like you do but at the core of who we are as as mentors in training here or mentors in advancing to be even being better mentors than you've been in your life look at the core first of your life are you growing in the way that you want people the mentorees that are going to be coming your way whether it's a, a 17 accumulated minutes with a Guy from Great Britain named Ben, who's a hotel clerk, all the way through to the guys that I've been mentoring for several years now, intimately involved with their lives, meeting with them every two to three weeks, whether it's by Skype or whether it's by person coming to um, our home office up in Parker, whatever. If we can get this idea of where does God want to be in our life and their life, whether it's the atheist or the solid pastor that I'm mentoring, where. Do we want God to be in our life as well as theirs? And if you can get this concept of whole person mentoring, even with Ben, the hotel clerk, I walked in that first day, saw him. I'm a sucker for Scottish, Irish, and English accents anyway. And as soon as he started talking, I was in, you know, charge me double for the room. No, don't do that. But, uh, but, you know, I walked up to him. We engaged. I asked him whatever question I asked him that he thought about for two or three days. Because I walked in there looking at him as a whole person, literally. Even watching you come in. Some of you I know, you reacquainted with my friend Dan here, uh, coming down, but I see you as whole people. Even today, driving by, there was a family that was just laughing their heads off coming down I-25. It was just a delight to have them zoom in. I mean, the kids were laughing and throwing things, and it just looked like a circus in a car going by me. And, and, the, and, and there's whole people. There were three kids and a mom and dad. that I don't know what they were laughing about, but, but I saw them as whole people coming by the park. There's some homeless folks here. And I see them as whole people up in Banff. Judy and I often saw a man just shuffling along and pushing a cart and I saw that man as a whole person. Part of the reason it's helpful to see other people as whole people is if you're seeing yourself as a whole person, or are you hiding something? Are you working real hard to not be real and keep shoving stuff down rather than allowing this Father, Son, Spirit, God to embrace you? Because you cannot be the best of mentors without absorbing this information for yourself first before you give it out. To somebody else and that doesn't mean you got to be perfect if you had to be perfect i shouldn't be doing what i'm doing because i'm not perfect my bride that i've been married to for 47 plus years could let you know where the imperfections are and uh and yet she loves me because we're seeing each other as whole people even that far into marriage with that and so i look at life in eight dimensions And that's in some of your notes. We're kind of randomly going through some of the things here. We look at life in eight dimensions. But what we do, there's one page that you have here, the eight dimensions of the circle of life. The foundation of the circle of life is the belief system. What do you really believe to be true? That's why I can talk to the atheist. I can talk to the foreigner. I can talk to the Muslim man from Liberia who had a family at the same place that we were staying in, in our recent trip um, who had just, you know, kids or kids or kids or kids. About two-thirds of the people up in Canada were foreigners. And, of course, I thought everybody was the Canadians or foreigners too to us. But, uh, it was just so fun watching the, the world go by us every day on our vacation and hearing the different languages. And there was this family two brothers and another man from liberia that was there they were being educated in some uh, big gas company in calgary on oil and gas production and um the ladies all had the shawls on and things and here's these little munchkin kids just running around big brown eyes and everything and one of the little girls and i got a little finger waving thing going where we saw him for a couple of days just one time i just kind of did this to her and uh, about three more times in the two or three days that we were together sharing the same space she'd see me beautiful little child big grin and she'd do this to me and then i'd do it back to her and that was all we communicated but i saw that child as a whole person and found myself praying for it, not knowing what the family was three couples and 14 kids each one family had five another family had five another had four and i'm assuming and you know what was tragic I'm going to confess something to you. When I found out they were from Libya, I kind of went, oh. Instead of looking at them as whole people first, I thought, terrorist? And that was awful. I really had to repent before the Father that that was one of my first quick judgments, Libya. I and mean, I liked him until he told me he was from Libya. And then all of a sudden, goes in there. And I just hated that and just had to really lift it up before the Father because I am asked, Wes, To love me, the Father, Son, Spirit, God. And to love others, even those families from Libya. And to love myself. To stay healthy, to be the whole man that God has designed and created me to be. So we talk about life in eight dimensions. That comes off of this, what do we really believe to be true? What is the congruence? And there's some questions and statements here. That, that are very important to think through in this next week on this one page that says the foundation of the circle of life. What do I really believe to be true about life? Now that sounds very philosophical, but it's a serious question that I repeatedly ask. What do I really believe to be true about X situation right now? The who I am is core to what I do with my life. And for we who are Christ followers, we who know The Father, Son, Spirit, God that lives within us. We have been created for God's purposes on His planet. We are here on purpose. No matter how we got here. I have a friend that was one of those illegitimate kids. Born out of wedlock and all the language that we can put to that. Here with great purpose. Not just the ones that were you know, born into families that have stayed in the good structure, has been nurturing, and all of those things that have gone along. But who I am is core to what I do with my life. And anybody that you mentor, who they are, is even more important to think about and address than the what. And God Almighty knew that first. He was not asking us to be What? 'Cause what I mean there's a there's a variety of vocations represented in this room. The people that we talked with on vacation, the, the men and women that I met are from around the globe, there's a variety of vocations of what people do, the what they do. But who are they is so important to think through. I am here for a purpose, that little Libyan girl is here for a purpose. Ben, the hotel clerk, is here for a purpose. Our neighbor who's had knee surgery, she's here for a purpose. I mean, everybody is here for a purpose. And I will continue to discover and acknowledge who I am and what I believe about the life I am here to live. I know I am here to make a difference in the world. And I've written those things in that piece of paper for you to think through during this week and to read those over for yourself. You are here to make a difference in the world. And you are here to make a difference in the world. And you are here to make a difference in the world. And you are here to make a difference in the world. And that precious little dude that's being held right up there in the corner is here to make a difference in the world someday and will as he continues to grow. We are all here to make a difference in the world. And we have been given a special commission by the very fact that we have invited this Father-Son Spirit God to be a part of our life. I don't know what Ben, the hotel clerk's religious structure, is at all, but I know he's here to make a difference in the world. We can't attend to everybody. It's impossible. I mentor a number of people. My precious wife just does a bang-up job with one or two or three people at a time pouring into. It's just our nature. It's part of who we are with what we do. And so what do we really believe to be true? And one of the things that I find that is so important for me to be reminded of as a mentor and for you as mentors as well, with whomever you're going to be even talking with in this week, hopefully listening to them a little bit differently because of our time together this morning, is the fact that this Father, Son, Spirit, God wants to live their life, if I can speak in the plural for it, God is one, but God is also Father, Son, Spirit. In that, our God wants to live out the uniqueness of our relationship through every, what we call, dimension of our life. We talk about life in eight dimensions. I started out with six. There was a 10-year-old here in Colorado Springs a few years ago that argued me into seven And uh, one of the guys that's on our mentoring development team, a psychologist out of Phoenix, has now argued me into eight. And I said, sorry, guys, no more. We can't go to nine. Uh, But they were all correct. The the, 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 the 10-year-old was correct in telling me what I was missing, which was wonderful, having a mentoring relationship with a 10-year-old. And then my 60-year-old psychologist friend from Phoenix, he says, Wes, I think you're trying to munch too much together, so it needs to be this separation and ron's right uh so what you're going to be hearing about for the next for today and the next two weeks is this that this god of ours who has chosen us who wants us to be bearing his image wherever we are whether it's in the bathroom brushing our teeth all by ourself or talking to the person that's helping us at the grocery store or our neighbors, or interacting with people between now and, and a church service, or whoever's going to be brand new in your life this next week. God is saying, allow me, allow me, allow me to be who I am through you, my creation. To bear my image, to be my reflection, wherever you find yourself. Now, I'll tell you what, there's some moments I don't bear God's reflection, though. Really. I would not have wanted you to have a camera on me on all of our vacation. I got pretty torqued at a couple of people on the freeway. Canadians do not know how to drive. And, uh, and of course we do. Uh, but in this, here's one thing that, that and we've, we've got rambling time here, but I just want to push this at you. And you're going to see it by another piece of paper here that there is this description here of what we call the eight dimensions. And I'm going to put just I'm going to put just words here. There's the vocational dimension. And by the vocational dimension, we're going to go over this again next week, Eva. But but you know, what am I doing with my work? My vocation, my what do I do with my busyness during the day? I've had moms say, "Well, I'm just a homemaker." please don't tell me you're just in anything because I've got a marvelous 45-minute sermon already for anybody that says they're just a. Because God doesn't make justice. We all have purpose. We all have focus. We all have responsibilities in here. One of the things I saw one time on a study was that the average, whatever that means, homemaker has to exhibit at least 56 skills every day. And when you read down through that list of 56 skills, I get tired by about number 30. Um, and that's just a homemaker, you know, for for what's going on. So there's the vocational dimension. Let's go to another one where you know what do how do I what am I doing with um, my the waking working hours of my day? Um, here I'm going to just kind of draw. This is my rapid look at what a a brain is. There's the brain stem, which means the intellectual dimension. In the intellectual dimension, how do I think? What is it that I think about? Am I willing to be curious? Am I willing to learn? One of the saddest things in the world to me is too many of my contemporaries have stopped learning. They've retired. They've settled down. People say to me, Roberts, when are you going to retire? I go, about one split second after my last breath. I may retool or retread parts of my life as I get older, but I'm not going to retire, pardon the bad time on tire to retread. But in that process, I have purpose. And I find so many people in their seventies and eighties and nineties just thinking. Judy's mom lived to 103. And Judy was the caboose on the family. She had a sister 22 years older than her, so there was quite a range for both of us. And mom was vibrant and alive right up till just a few months before she passed away. And I got so tickled at her, but in her 90s, she had to give up her driver's license down in Phoenix. Um, and she was just, she was really ticked that she had to give the thing up. And she was a sweet woman. She did not, took a lot to tick her off. But this ticked her off because I said, Mom, you are just, you know, about this whole thing about giving up your driver's license. How come? She said, well, who's going to take the little old ladies to the doctor from church? I said, Mom, how old are the little old ladies? And she couldn't think of anybody over 80. She's in her 90s having to give it up because she just saw that as special service. It was part of her vocation, part of her work and what she did. And so our intellect, are we willing to be curious? Are we willing to learn? Are we willing to grow? Are we willing to be different in 2015 from what we are in 2014? What are we doing with this magnificent thing called brain? There is still so much to learn and grow from. And another dimension is just that, I'm just going to put a stick figure here, maybe put some hair on it for the ladies, um, but the physical what are we doing with the physical part of our life? And here we're talking about health, wellness, exercise, nutrition, sexuality. I've got one of those Fitbit flexes on my wrist. Um, taking 10,000 steps a day minimum. Physiologists have told us that if you're not taking a minimum of 10,000 steps a day, you're probably not maintaining health. Because we are a society that has learned to sit and not keep moving. Even standing is better than sitting, etc., and even on the trip, there was one day I hit 23,000 steps. And it was kind of fun. It was all in mountain terrain, too. It was just glorious being up there in the Canadian Rockies. And it was fun. I mean, I, you know, talk about arrogance. Um, I'm arrogant sometimes. I had to flick on my phone and say, what did I do? Wow, 23,000 steps. And I've shown two or three people since we've been home what I did. Um, but, but the physical, are we willing to be healthy? Too often people say, well, I've got to be a stud athlete. Or I've got to be, you know, slim trim and muscles and all of this. Are we willing to be healthy? In my annual physical, our doctor is a close personal friend. He's a Christian brother. And, uh, and I just told John, thanks so much for your encouraging me to be a healthy man in the 28 years that you've taken care of me. Because are we committed to health? Are we doing that which is going to increase the health? I'm not asking we've got to become extreme nutritionists or extreme athletes. We're not going to go on the ninja program on TV, but uh, what are we? What are we going to do to stay healthy physically? And um, well, let's pick up another one. Here's here's you know we'll just put uh, two people together here. The lady, can tell I'm not an artist, but you know some people are single; they are not married, but they come from a family. We have families. We have histories with families. Not married yet. We have a daughter. It's in her late 30s. She's not married yet. But guess what? She's got a family. She's got a mom and dad. And with our case, we were not able to have children. And so with our daughter, we got her through what I love to call the miracle of adoption. And it's quite a story about how God brought her into our life. An amazing story. But some get married so that there's this unit and have families they will you know, exhibit A of the little guy up there again. Uh, that, that that happens as they come along. And so we have families. We have history with our family. How are we letting God, this Father, Son, Spirit, God, invade all of that? And then um, let's talk about here the the emotions. Now I'm just going to put a smiley face here. Where sometimes there's tears to this. Are we willing to feel? Are we willing to be people who who know what's going on in our life. Are we willing to be sad when it's appropriate to be sad? Are we willing to be even mad about things when it's appropriate to be mad? What are we doing with our emotional life? And there's a sheet that gives you some cheat sheets on some of this that you can take home with you and look at it. This is another one of those dimensions that is so critical. Um, Probably should have a green marker for this one. but, But what... What do we do with our finances? How do we earn, spend, and save and give our money away? What are we doing with... Are we hoarding or are we being generous? Are we doing the work that we need to do? And and are we doing the work vocationally we need to do to earn the money? Are we doing our best work? Are we earning our best money? Are we willing to earn less in order to be more satisfied with work? Or is it always the... Got to have more, 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 more that often we get encouraged in our world today. Um, And um, social, what do we do with friendships? Leisure, time out, play. When do you ah, exhale? So much of our Western culture is just inhaling inhaling and inhaling and inhaling and inhaling and inhaling and inhaling. And then people pop, things go wrong. Physically, it goes wrong. Mentally, emotionally, relationally, it goes wrong if we do not take time. And we live in a glorious part of the world. I don't know what I'd do if I just had to walk cornfields in Nebraska. Because I love hiking trails in Colorado. Thursday when we were coming home, though, Judy and I had the same thought. Because we saw these magnificent bursts of rock and glaciers and everything in Canada. We were coming in having late dinner at Frisco before we drove on in down Seventy. And all of a sudden, it was sunset. We were looking at greys and Tories out there across Lake Dillon, and it was just kind of funny. I thought, golly, those mountains look pretty wimpy compared to where we've been. You know, it's all perspective. They're fourteen thousand foot mountains for crying out loud. You don't run at least I don't run up those things. But, uh, but it's it's one of those one of those just points of saying, hey, you know, perspective is there. We love Colorado. We've lived here for thirty eight years now. Came here to grad school, and uh, got to stay. And in the processing of that, though, um, do we take the time out? Do we take the leisure? Guys know that if they're going to be mentored by me, there will come times in the summer when we spend an entire day in Rocky Mountain National Park. There are five sacred places. Maybe you don't know this, but there are five sacred places in Rocky Mountain National Park where I know God lives. I know the rocks he lives on. I know the the trail that he lives on up there. And it's been amazing to take Some men and women to these five sacred spaces, as I call it, up in Rocky Mountain National Park. And so, are we willing to be that person that says, Ha, I will be physical, I will trust my relationships and family, I'm going to do my best work possible, I'm going to earn, spend, save, give my money, I'm going to pay attention where I'm sad or glad or what needs to be retooled in my life emotionally. I'm going to take time out. There's going to be that time of leisure that I need to play, to see movies. There's some good movies coming out. I love to go to see a movie and then have a great talk about it. And and what am I doing with my brain? What am I feeding? What am I putting in? Input, output type thing. And this is where the 10-year-old from the Springs here knocked me over uh, several years ago. When he says, Wes, you're forgetting something. Now this guy's... He's 13 now. But this guy was precocious at 10. He's even, you know, getting to be more precocious at 13. Hormones are setting in. But uh, in in the processing of that, it's really fun because he says, you're missing something. And he was hearing me go over this with his mom and dad. And I said, okay, smart pants, what am I missing? He says, well, at church. And they go to some big church to the north up here, you know, kind of a blue structure and so on. Where... Uh, they've attended before they moved out of the community here and and he says well you know i teacher was talking the other day about the fact that um if you really want to be connected to god you got to be like a little child and in order to really play well you've got to to be like a child because kids have a greater imagination than and he's telling me about this thing kids have better imaginations than adults I'm going to say, you ever met Walt Disney? Which, you know, I didn't want to get into, which I did once for 20 minutes because I worked at Disneyland on the Jungle Cruise when I was in college. And in the process of that, it was so fun to be able to have a 10-year-old inform me. I said, so what, what's missing? And he says, well, what's missing is this creative, innovative, designful, and playful. I went, Wow. He says, we've got to be like little kids to really enjoy God. And he was hearing me talk about God at the core with his parents and God at the core with the kids. So we've arrived at the end of our time for today. And I want to continue this next week because God, this God who loves us, this God who says, I want to live my life out through all of who you are. This God wants to have it. And there's things that stop us sometimes, and this is where we'll start next week. What is it that it stops us, or we find somebody there are many that just seems to be blocked from being living into the full person that they have been created to be? We will continue that process. Give me your cards. I want to send you information. Look over this material. Read what Ernesto Cardinal has written here. It's an important work as you go into this next week. Think it through, and I want to give you one last assignment to bring back with you next Sunday. This is something we use in our longer workshops. And this is for you and only you and the Trinity to know about, okay? You don't need to show this to anybody. If you're married here, couple, sorry, ladies and gentlemen. This is just yours alone. Don't need to show it to anybody. But I want you to put down here in this circle just looking at your life, looking at the very brief things, looking at even some of the scriptures that I'm going to send you this week. And I want you to put down where what are the two or three areas where things are really going well right now? And I'm not saying it's black compared to white here, but where are the two or three areas that in your life you know there needs to be some growth? Any kind of important growth. So I want you to do an assessment this week as you read some of the scriptures I'm going to send to you. As you go through these and on this piece of paper, just, you know, put down an X for those things that really need some work and put down an O for those things that are going fairly well. And so as you think about this, as you pray about it, as you read about it, as you interact with the scriptures that I want to send to you, as you allow this spirit of God alive in you to illumine some things in your own mind and heart. Let's see where we land next week. Now, here's the deal. Nobody's going to need to show up and tell us what's on your paper. Okay? So don't panic. Um, but next week, we meet from 9.30 to 10.30. Is that right? And um, so we'll, we'll meet from 9.30 to 10.30 the next two Sundays. And let me have your questions. Because this is a short amount of time to throw a bunch of stuff at you. I want you to leave here on the 28th being committed And ready to mentor at least one other person that God's going to bring your way between now and Christmas. We'll see who it is. Okay? God bless. Go.